Thank you, worship team. That was amazing. I don't know if you feel that at home, but in this room, man, it just feels like the spirit is here. And uh, man, it's just awesome to worship together, even if we're uh, far away, kind of separated by a screen. God is still here. Uh, God is still good. Uh, it's good to be with you today. If you are new, as Jonathan said earlier, uh, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here at New Life. If you have a Bible at home, um, go ahead and grab that. Open it up, turn it on on your device or your phone. We're going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12 today. We're back in our Hope in Exile series. And I don't know about you, but for me, the last few weeks have been really tough. Uh, they've been tough to kind of preach through these texts. Maybe they've been tough for, for you to hear because what's happening is uh, the Apostle Peter, who is one of Jesus' closest friends, He's writing to these Christians who are in exile. They're being persecuted. Um, they're suffering. In some ways, I think maybe now more than ever, we can kind of relate to how, how, they fit, how they felt all those years ago in exile. And uh, so he's writing them and he's telling them how they should act, view, and interact with all these really important arenas in life. And so how should we, for instance, as believers, uh, view, interact with our government, for for example. So that's one of the things that he covered. How should we view and interact um, in different arenas of life where people have authority over us, whether it's uh, the workplace or maybe you're a student in, in school or a professor in college. How, do, how are we to view and submit and to interact? And then the last two weeks, we've really sort of unpacked what that looks like in the context of a godly marriage. How is a husband supposed to love and serve his wife? And how is his wife to respond as the church, as the body of believers responds to Jesus? And so we've sort of unpacked that. And it's all been really kind of tedious for me and kind of hard because it's all sort of been under the umbrella of submission. And that's the one thing, especially, again, as kind of independent uh, American people that we just kind of naturally push back against, and we don't like that concept, and we don't like anybody telling us uh, what to do or how we should view things or how we should uh, react to different situations or people or authorities that God places in our life. And yet Peter is taking several weeks to kind of unpack what this looks like in all these really important areas of our lives. And it's been tough, but I think that ultimately it's been good. We need to hear these things, right? We need to hear God kind of push back on those kind of rebellious places in our hearts as he softens them and makes us look more like his son, Jesus. And he's going to wrap up that portion of the letter on submission by telling them, these Christians 2,000 years ago, who were suffering in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he's also sort of speaking through the corridor of time and history to us today in 2020. And he's going to tell us how we should interact with one another within the context of the church body. So how, how should we view one another? How should we respond to one another? How should we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? That's going to be part of what he does today. And then the second part of what Peter's going to do today is he's going to tell us how we should interact and react to those who are outside uh, the body of Christ in a hostile world, and maybe even people who, um, who would hurt us, maybe even people who would uh, speak badly of us or wound us. And so kind of those two contexts, those two contexts Peter's going to give us today. How should we react and interact with people inside the family of Jesus, our brothers and sisters in Christ on the one hand, and then also how should we interact with those outside the church 
family as well. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you the keys to living a blessed life. That's actually what Peter's going to do. He's going to give us the keys to living a blessed life. Now, I wonder how many of you sitting at home would say today that you've been blessed in life. You just have to say, yeah, absolutely, God has his hand has been upon me. I've seen his blessing in my life. For me, uh, that's certainly the case. I mean, I grew up with, with great parents. I got an awesome opportunity to kind of live all over the world before my ninth or 10th birthday. I've got this incredible wife who's a life partner with me. I've got the three, you know, just most incredible kids. And I get this incredible opportunity also to, to lead and serve uh, within the context of one of the best churches, I believe, on the planet today. And so I'm just um, just unimaginably, unimaginably blessed in my life. So I wonder how many of you would, would sort of say the same thing, man. Like God has just been so good to me. Even though I don't deserve it, even though I've got all this baggage in my life, I've got all this history of rebellion and sin, God has still uh, loved me and pursued me and done these great things in my life. And many of us have been blessed beyond measure, but our culture defines a blessed life much differently than God does. Did you know that? God defines a blessed life much, much differently than our culture does, than our world does. And so all of us have to sort of decide in life which definition of a blessed life we're actually going to go after, we're going to run after, we're going to pursue in our life. The world's definition of a blessed life or God's definition of a blessed life because, listen, they are two totally different things. See, our world tells us that a, that a blessed life looks like a material wealth, and a blessed life looks like perfect health, and, and maybe that dream job, or if you're in high school, maybe it's getting into that, that dream college, or maybe it's having that, that, that perfect boyfriend or girlfriend or, or, or spouse and having no real problems in life, and that's kind of how our culture and our world would define success or a, a blessed Life. That's why you constantly just kind of see this on repeat on social media, right? So you'll see, you'll, you'll see again, well-intentioned people, oftentimes e e even people who would claim to be Christians and they're standing by their, their brand new car or they're standing on some exotic beach and it's, it's hashtag blessed, man. And my, my favorite, hashtag blessed and highly favored, right? Because you know if I got a brand new BMW that I'm, that I'm living the blessed life, I'm highly Favored. And it's funny, but God sees and defines a blessed life in a much different light, a much different context. In God's kingdom, the blessed life isn't about your dream house. It's not about having that luxury car or going on that exotic vacation. It's much deeper than that. And even, even at times, maybe a little more subtle to, than that. But it is actually the most beautiful blessed life. So here's what I want to do. I want to read the whole text to you. It's just five verses this morning, and then, and then I want to break it down into three very simple applications for us as followers of Jesus, and we'll be done. All right, so that's the game plan for the morning. It's going to be uh, pr pretty quick, I think maybe a little quicker than, than usually for a sermon for me, uh, but I think it's going to be good. This is something that we need. So First Peter, if you're not there yet, First Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, this is what the apostle Peter writes to these suffering Christians all these years ago and to you and me today in 2020. He says, finally, it tells us he's wrapping up this portion of his letter on submission. Finally, all of you, talking to these believers now, these Christ followers, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Then he quotes Psalm 34. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now notice right away, Peter says, all of you. And so he's, he's kind of shifting right here. He's no longer just speaking to husbands and, and wives as he has been. He's no longer just speaking to employers or employees or, 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 or those who are under different governments in this world. He says, all y'all, as we say in Western, Western North Carolina, all youans. He's saying, all all you, it's all y'all, all Christians, everybody who claims the name of Jesus, everybody who says they love Jesus, all of you who have been ransomed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, this is how you are to live and conduct yourselves with one another within the context of the faith family, the church family, those who love Jesus. You want a blessed life, Christian? Here are five traits. He's gonna give us five traits that you should be aiming for in your life as you live and you do life with other Believers. So five traits of the blessed life within the context of a church family. He says, first of all, all of you are to have unity of mind. That's where he starts. He says, all of you are to have unity of mind. Now, does Peter mean there that we must uh, somehow just agree on everything in this world? Is that what Peter means? That we should all share kind of the same interests. We should all have the same uh, favorite sports team. We should all have the same taste in food or music. No, that's, that's clearly not what Peter's talking about. As we've said before, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is oneness of purpose. Unity is oneness of purpose even within our diversity. I've always said, man, one of the, the things that I love most about this church family at New Life is we tend to be a diverse people. We have people from all walks of life here, people from just about every conceivable spiritual background here, people from different kind of socioeconomic levels in life, different ethnicities, different nationalities here who call this place their church family. In fact, I, sometimes I feel like the only thing that unites us in this church is our love for Jesus and us kind of joining together on mission with him. This fact that we've been redeemed by a good God and, and that he's sort of sent us on mission and he's made us a spiritual family, a lot of times that is, that is the only thing that unites us here and that is enough. And so we unify around the essentials of our faith at New Life. So important things, non-negotiable things like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the triune nature of God, the virgin birth, the divinity of Jesus, the literal resurrection, right? There are just some kind of essential things that we all have to agree on to even call ourselves Christians. But then there are all sorts of secondary issues, you know, kind of how we view end times, maybe how old we think the earth is. We see all kinds of secondary issues that we may see differently, and yet we are unified around the gospel of Jesus. And Peter is saying here, listen, value each other. Despite your disagreements, despite maybe your different opinions on these secondary issues, brothers and sisters, seek unity. 
Seek unity around that which matters most. And for the Christ follower, that is the fact that Jesus has made us sons and daughters of the God of this universe. And that should draw you together. There should just be this oneness. There should be this unity of mind. Despite all the other stuff that's swirling around us, we should be unified on the most important thing that defines who we are in this world. I think the best definition of this is one that the Apostle Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he uses uh, this, this imagery of the human body. And he says, though our human body, our, our fleshly body is made up of many different members, so we are as the body of Christ, as the family of God. And so Paul goes, just like the hand is different than the foot, and just like the ear is different than the eye, but the reality is all of our body parts have a unity of purpose. All of them, right? And so like, if you, if you wanna go eat a meal, like you, can't, you can't just send your mouth to get the job done, right? The, the whole body has to go to the table and participate because there's a, there's a unity of purpose there. He's saying the same thing in the family of God, in the church body. We, you, we unite, we have this oneness of mind and spirit around our Savior. There's this unity within our diversity that makes us distinctly Christian. Jesus himself said that love for one another, even in the context of all of our differences, our love for one another is actually how the world would know that we belong to him. And so in a real sense, Jesus is saying, this is one of the marks, one of the evidences that you actually love me. You can say what you want with your mouth. You can memorize all the Bible verses that you want. You can call yourself a Christian and post Bible verses on social media. But Jesus is saying, this is one of the marks that you actually love me, follow me, and that I, that I indwell in you, that you actually belong to me, is that you love one another inside this context of this family of God, this church family. This is how the world is gonna know that you belong to me. That's what Jesus said. And so the blessed way starts with unity of mind within the church family. Now look back at verse eight with me. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. That's sort of trait number one of the blessed life. And then he says, number two, sympathy. Sympathy, that's the second trait of the blessed life for the follower of Jesus. Now, this is the idea of compassion. Now, don't mistake this for pity, right? Pity is looking at someone and saying, oh, poor guy, it must really stink to be him. I mean, if he was as smart as me, he probably wouldn't be in that situation. If he worked as hard as me, he probably wouldn't be in that situation. If he saved like I saved, if he was good with finances, he wouldn't be there. If he was as smart as me, man, all these different things, we kind of get kind of judgmental, and that's pity. We say, oh, that poor guy. I'm glad that's not me. This is not what Peter is talking about. Pity is passive. Sympathy is active. Sympathy is love in motion. Here's probably the best definition I've ever heard of sympathy. This is the best definition of sympathy. Your hurt in my heart. Your hurt in my heart. Your pain in my soul. What that means is that within the body of Christ, we feel each other's pain. And we come underneath and we help bear each other's burdens in life. You bleed, I bleed. That's what that means. You hurt, I hurt. Now here, here's, here's the odd thing about sympathy. I, I cannot feel what you feel when I am preoccupied with myself. It's impossible. 
So I, I can't have your pain in my heart if all of my thoughts are revolving around me and my needs and how my life isn't where I want it to be and how somebody kind of messed me over. Man, I wonder how much of our Christian power in life is kind of stripped away by being self-absorbed instead of others-focused. Like how many of us are just missing the boat? We're missing this powerful life of, of spiritual power that God has for us, that Jesus wants us to walk in because we're just, we're self-absorbed instead of being others-focused. You may remember that time in the Gospels where there's a group of really religious people come up to Jesus and, and they ask him what the greatest commandment was. And of course, they, they were trying to trick him. They were, they were trying to trap him. And so they, they go, Jesus, what, what's the greatest commandment? 600-something commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus, tell us which one is the greatest. Do you remember what his answer was? He says, love God with everything that you got, right? So love God with your heart and your soul and your mind. Love God with everything that you've got. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think David Platt, who's a, a pastor up in the D.C. area, he captures this well in, in this quote, and this will be on the screen for you, but Platt says this. We, he's talking about Amer American Christians, the American church, he says, we are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. You see, the blessed life, as it turns out, is actually not about serving ourselves at all. It's actually about giving ourselves away in something far greater than ourselves. Now, just as an aside, this is, this is really hard to flesh out. This is really hard to experience. This is really hard to actually live out in your life if you just attend a worship service, whether that's a live stream at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning or even if that's coming to an outdoor gathering on, on Sunday night. If that is the sum total of your discipleship, of your Christian walk and your interaction within the family of God, it's gonna be really, really hard for you to experience what the Apostle Peter's talking about here. So let me, let me just encourage you, church family, and I do this from time to time. If, if you are not in a small group, a community group, if you're not in a Bible study of some sort, I cannot encourage you enough to seek that out. I know many of you have, especially in this time with all this coronavirus, we've, we've seen some growth in some of these areas in our church family as people have realized the importance of relationship and how, how toxic and dangerous it is to actually be isolated in life without relationship. Let me just encourage you, if all you're involved in within the kind of scope of our church family is a live stream worship service or a 7 p.m. outdoor service, and that's it for the entire week, let me just say, you're missing out on so much of what God has for you in the Christian life. We were created to walk this out together, not alone. Together, not alone. Now, I want you to look at the third trait of the blessed life that Peter gives us. Go back to verse eight. He says, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy. And then number three, what does he say? Brotherly love. Brotherly love. Now, this is the Greek word philadelphos. We get the word Philadelphia from that Greek word, right? The, you probably heard Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And Peter is saying here, listen, you, you love each other in the, in the sort of the family of Jesus like you're actually a family because you actually are a family, this is, this is the idea of sibling love. Now, I don't know if you're tuning into this. I don't know how many of you uh, grew up with siblings. Or maybe you're still in the home and you're in the process of kind of gr growing up with siblings. Um, I, I grew up with, with just one sibling. So I had 
Uh, one sister, still have one sister. She's two years uh, younger than I am. And um, I think like, like most siblings, when we, were, when we were young, when we were kids, we didn't, we didn't always get along. Uh, we didn't always agree on everything. In fact, I think that we drove my parents to the edge of insanity uh, multiple times, just uh, constantly arguing and fighting and me kind of picking on her and her screaming bloody murder. But the reality was there was always a very deep love, and to this day, a very deep love for my sister. And Peter is saying here, you love each other like that. These are your siblings forever. You get, you get siblings on this earth for 50 or 60 or 70 years. These are your, these are your eternal siblings. How you treat them, how you love them, how you respond to them matters. It echoes into eternity. You love each other like families because you guys are gonna be brothers and sisters for eternity. And trait number four of the blessed life, he goes, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. Number four, he says, a tender heart. I want you guys to have a tender heart towards each other. Now, the Greek word that Peter uses there is actually really fascinating because it, it literally means strong bowels. <laughs> it literally means strong bowels. And Peter's going, if you want to have a blessed life, you guys have to have strong bowels toward each other. <laughs> and I read that for the first time in the Greek, and I was thinking, what, Peter, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, that doesn't even make sense. Does that, does that mean like I'm supposed to eat a lot of fiber in the morning? I do lots of sit-ups so I have strong core? What does that mean? What that actually means when you dig a little deeper is that in the ancient world, it was understood that the deepest part, the, the heart, the soul of a person was actually in their gut. It was in their guts. And if you think about it, we still, we still kind of speak that way today in our English language, right? So we'll say things like after a really sort of incredible sports performance or something like that, we'll say, man, he really gutted it out. Or man, she's really got some guts. Or we'll ask somebody when they have a hard decision in life, it's like, man, what, what is your gut telling you? What is, what is your gut saying? Or man, that person has a lot of intestinal fortitude. And we kind of use those as, as positive statements. And what Peter is driving out here is he's saying, listen, believer, we are to love and care for one another from the deepest parts of who we are. We, we are to care and love each other from our, from our hearts, from our very souls, from the deepest part, the, the core of who you are as a human being. That's how you're supposed to love each other. So there's to be this sort of genuineness to our care and love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not to be a superficial, just sort of platitude-laced care for one another. And the reality is we can be guilty of this inside the church, can't we? I know I've been guilty at times, right? Where we, we kind of hear somebody's story and they're going through something and there's just kind of a shallow, superficial, platitude answer. Oh, brother, I'm so sorry. And the famous one, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. I pray, but far too often, it's just, it's shallow platitudes. It's, it's surface level. And Peter's saying, no. No, this is not what Jesus requires of us as his disciples. He, he wants us to love each other from the, from the heart, from your guts. Be, be tender toward one another. So friend, let me, let me just ask you, are you loving one another right now, the people in your life, your brothers and sisters in Christ, are you loving them from your guts? I mean, do you genuinely, deeply care for them or have you become a bit cold? Maybe, maybe a bit distant emotionally from your eternal siblings? 
And here's what I know to be true, and this is the danger, and I, I know it's a danger because I've experienced it in my own life, but here, here's the danger in this. I found that the older you get and the more pain you witness, the more times you yourself have been wounded by other people, the harder and harder it is to have a tender heart. And the easier it becomes to, to kind of get jaded, to kind of have a, a cynical outlook on life, to become kind of, kind of callous towards other people. And Peter is saying, believer, guard against that. Guard against, protect, your, protect your heart from that. See to it that you keep your heart tender, that you love each other from the gut. Love your guts out if you want to experience the blessed life in God's kingdom. And then he gives one more, lastly, kind of a fifth trait of the blessed life inside the family of God. He says, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart. And the last thing he says is a humble mind. A humble mind. Now, isn't it interesting that he ends the list with humility? He doesn't end it with perfect theology or making sure you've, you've all got kind of your, your political ideology aligned and all the same. He doesn't end with any of that, he actually ends the list with humility. And I think that's done strategically by Peter because I think all the other traits are darn near impossible without this last one, without humility. Because what's the opposite of humility? Is it not pride? Is it not arrogance? <laughs> and the prideful person, the arrogant person is unable to live a life of unity. They're unable to, to live a life of sympathy or have a tender heart or brotherly love because this person is only concerned with themselves. And Peter is saying God's people are not to be like that. God's people are to be marked with humility. God's people ought to just have this posture in life that you know what, I, I may not be right about everything. I, 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 may, I may not have it all figured out. Like I, I actually have a lot to learn in, in life and on, on this journey of following Jesus. And so let me, let me listen to this brother. Let me listen to this sister. I have a lot to learn. Let me listen more than I speak. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, which Peter lived in and wrote in, humility was seen as a weakness. All right, so this would have been very countercultural for Peter to write to these Christians and say, no, you value, you elevate humility in your midst. All right, it was seen as a weakness in that day, but Peter is going, no, 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 no. In God's kingdom, this is actually a strength. This is what makes you strong in God's kingdom. This is actually essential in the kingdom of Jesus. So you want a blessed life within the context of uh, a church family with your brothers and sisters? He says, practice these five things. Practice these five things. Now let me kind of summarize all that Peter just said and then we'll move on. So this is kind of big idea number one. Remember, we're gonna have three. Big idea number one, application number one, Christian, love one another deeply. Like if we were just gonna wrap up everything he just said, I think we could kind of nutshell it in that one statement. Christian, love one another deeply. Not casually, not superficially. Love each other from the gut is what he's saying there. Now, Peter is gonna begin to pivot what he's talking about in verse nine to say that as, as we live this way in the context of the church family, we'll also be enabled to live that way with those outside of the family of God, even those who might mistreat us. Watch this, look at verse nine with me. He says, do not repay evil for evil 
or reviling for reviling. That's kind of a, a word for abuse. Typically, verbal abuse could be physical. So don't repay evil for evil, reviling, or abuse for abuse. Listen to this. This is radical. But on the contrary, bless. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, this is tough, right? We, we like verse 8, fine enough, right? We kind of read that and we're like, oh, all these really cool things, love each other and tender heart and sympathy and brotherly love. We're like, oh, cool, that's, 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 that's kind of hard to do, I guess, but that's kind of sweet. We kind of like that. But then we get into verse 9, it's like, ah, ah, I don't know if I really like this. All right, so what, what, what do you do when people don't treat you well? It's easy to love people that are like you inside the context of the church family. If they're loving you and having sympathy on you and there's all these awesome things, kind of there's unity of mind within the church family, it's easy to have that back. But what happens when we step out of the family of faith and we don't have that response? And people don't treat us well. What's your response when people mock you? What's your go-to response when people betray you, when people cut you with their words? Peter's answer here is radical. It's revolutionary. He says, I want you to to turn around when they wound you, when they betray you, when they slide that knife into your back. I want you to turn around, and I want you to bless them. I want you to bless them. Now, this this is hard because it runs against everything that's kind of natural human instinct inside of us, right? Because if you're anything like me, my natural human instinct, when someone hurts me, when someone mistreats me, when someone betrays me, is you're going to pay, right? Like, you cut me, I'm going to make sure you bleed. You hurt me, I'm going to make sure your pain is doubled. And isn't that our instinct that when people are sort of nice to us, that maybe we're nice in return, but we kind of act as a mirror. They're good to us, we're good to them, but if they're mean to us, if they're rude to us, we kind of tend to mirror that back towards them. And so for me, if somebody cuts me off in traffic on 240, I wanna pass them and I wanna cut them off. <laughs> now, now, thankfully, my sweet wife is, is usually with me and she reminds me that I'm a pastor and that if I do that, it'll probably be somebody at new life, and then it'll, it'll be really bad. But wh- why do I have that instinct? When someone does me wrong and they cut me off in traffic, why is it that my initial instinct is to kind of go around them and cut them off? Because there's, there's something in my flesh that wants them to feel what I feel. There's something deep inside of my flesh that wants, somebody hurts me, I want them to experience my wound and my pain because they caused it. And Peter is saying, no, beloved, no follower of Jesus. Not only are we to love one another in the context of the family of Jesus, we even bless those who mistreat us, those who malign us and gossip about us and mock us and wound us and cut us off in traffic or steal our parking place, even when we have our blinker on. Man, that stuff makes me lose my sanctification. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you got to bless people who wound you if you say you love and follow Jesus. Because isn't that the example that he left us? Isn't that the example that he left us? Jesus himself, in his most famous sermon, called the Sermon on the Mount, you can find it in Matthew chapter five. He says, love your enemies and what? And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. This was such a radical teaching in the day of Jesus because the Jews, the religious people in those days taught that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
That, that was the teaching of the day. So people that are like you and believe like you and, and they kind of love you and they're polite to you, then, then you, you love your neighbor. But your enemy, it's, it's, okay, to, it's okay to hate them. And that's, that's kind of the message of our culture and our society, isn't it? Yeah, you love people that you agree with, but man, if they disagree with you, if they hurt you, then man, you make sure they suffer. And Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, no, 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 yes, you love your brothers and sisters, but you also bless those who hate you, those who curse you. You bless them in response. I was talking to my kids uh, about this just two days ago. On, on Friday, we have our, our kind of our family devotional time and eat breakfast together and we huddle up in the living room and uh, we, we read scripture and they typically get kind of a, a preview of the sermon. So I kind of break down the passage for them and let them ask questions and then we pray for people in our lives and we maybe sing a couple songs. And so I asked my kids this week and we we're kind of going through this text and I said, what, what do you think would happen if somebody got really upset at you and just started like cussing you out, right? And we've had a couple of instances like that over the years where somebody just, whatever, you get the last hand sanitizer off the thing at Target, right? And went right when somebody was reaching and they just lace into you. And I said, what, what do you think would happen Somebody's just lacing into you, they're upset at you, they're, they're just ripping you down, they're tearing you down. You just smiled at them and complimented them. Man, I, I love your shirt, where'd you get that? You know, by, by the way, you can, you can have this hand sanitizer, I don't, I don't need it that bad, you, you can have it. Can I, can I pray, it seems like you might be having a bad day. Can I, can I even pray for you, man? What, what's the way I could bless you today? And I asked my kids, how do you think they would respond? They said, I don't know how they would respond because the reality is most people don't even have like, they don't even have a context. They don't even have a category for how to process somebody blessing them when they're in the middle of tearing somebody else down. This is absolutely revolutionary. Jesus saying, if you love me, this is the way I want you to live and interact with the world around you. This is what I've called you to. And so Jesus says, and then Peter kind of repeats this later, later as he writes this letter to these churches, and he says, listen, this is the Christian response to mistreatment. It's not getting on social media and railing against all those who persecute us and take our rights. No, he says, they hate you, you bless them. They hate you, you bless them. And the question for me as I study these radical teachings that challenge kind of those, those really broken places in my heart where I really struggle with sin, the challenge for me is how do I live this way? Like, like how do I live this way as a, as a lifestyle to not only love my brothers and sisters and the family of faith and with a radical love from my gut, how do, not, how do I not, not only do that, but on top of it, how do I love a hostile world that doesn't always get us as Christians? A hostile culture that doesn't even particularly like us most of the time. How do, how do I turn around and, and bless them as they mistreat me? Or they, as they misperceive who I am and, and what I believe and what I'm about? Like I, I read this radical teaching and I think, man, maybe, maybe that would be easy enough to do like one time. Maybe somebody cuts me off on 240 or, 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 or you know, they steal my parking place when I already have my blinker on. And maybe, maybe I can do this one time, just muster up and pray, oh, God, Jesus, help me do this. And maybe I can do it once. But how do we live this way as a lifestyle? Like, for me, that almost seems in, impossible. Maybe that's just because I'm so broken and I'm so sinful. Maybe for you, that's easy. But I read that and I go, this seems almost impossible. Where do we get the motivation for that? And Peter tells us in verse 9. Go back to verse 9 kind of halfway through verse 9, he says this, for to this, for to bless those who curse you, for, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Peter's saying, 
believer, you've been called to this. You've been called to this. And so when you walk this path, both inside the church and outside the church, there's a better blessing that awaits you. There's something better than just feeling good because you tore somebody a new one because they hurt you or you wounded them because they cut you or whatever it is. He's saying, there's a better way. There's a better path. There's a better life. There's a more blessed life. There's a better blessing over here. Now understand, Peter, Peter is not, he is not promising health and he's not promising wealth and he's not promising unfettered happiness in this life. Peter was no prosperity gospel preacher. In fact, all throughout this letter, he speaks of fiery trials and tribulations and sufferings in this life for the Christian. But he's saying there is a better blessing that awaits us if we walk this path. There's a better blessing. He spoke of this in chapter 1. We talked about it as our heavenly inheritance that's being kept for us by God the Father. And Peter, in, his, in essence, he's saying, the world may not see it this way, but this is actually the blessed life. The world may look at your life, and they might not think it's the blessed life, but I'm just telling you, this is actually the blessed life, even if most people don't see it. This is the blessed life. It's not the huge house and the fancy car and the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence and the exotic vacations that make a life blessed. Now listen, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. And in fact, if, that, if that's you, please email me. I'm looking for a friend, cdillon at nlcca.org. I'm especially looking for a friend that has a vacation home. But that, listen, that is not the blessed life. That's what Peter's saying. The world will tell you that's the blessed life. But I'm telling you, that's actually not the blessed life in God's kingdom. Again, one more time, let, let's think back to the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus, Matthew 5, most famous sermon. I want you to listen to just some of his sermon in Matthew 5, and we're, we're almost done. Matthew 5, this is what Jesus says. This is his kingdom, the upside-down kingdom. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not, 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 the, not, not people that have it all figured out, not arrogant people, not prideful people. Not people that always have to argue on Twitter to make sure everybody thinks they're right. He says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall find mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God with their eyes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now listen to this. This is where I think Peter probably, I can just picture Peter listening to this sermon and then all these years later writing in 1 Peter. Listen to what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, abuse you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Follower of Jesus, you and I have been called to bless others. Even when we're cursed, even when we're mocked, even when we're torn down, our response is to love them in return and to bless them. And when you walk this hard path of enduring suffering while blessing those who cause you pain, Jesus promises a future reward and blessing to come that we can't even wrap our minds around.
And so this is kind of truth number two this morning, application number two. Christian, learn to bless your enemies. So the first one was love one another deeply in the context of the church family. Love each other deeply. The second is bless even your enemies. See, one of, one of the things I feel like a lot of people in our culture kind of get twisted a little bit about Christianity is kind of this thought that becoming a Christian means that we have to forsake all joys in life, all blessings in life. It kind of takes, kind of sucks all the fun out of life. And we just, if you follow Jesus, that just kind of means you become this, this kind of prude, like boring, miserable person. But that was never the message of Jesus. And that was never the message of his apostles or his disciples or his followers. The consistent message of Jesus and his people in the New Testament is trade a lesser blessing for a greater blessing. That's the message. You're not actually giving up anything. It may feel like it. It may look like it to the world, but you're actually not giving up anything. You're trading a lesser blessing for a greater one. Jesus is going, I want more for you. I don't want less, I want, I want more for you, my son. I want more for you, my daughter. This is the blessed pathway. The path less traveled leads to greater reward and blessing now and in the age to come. And Peter finishes out this section by quoting Psalm 34 verbatim. And I wanna look at it and then, then we'll be done. So this is what he says, starting in verse 10. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days. Anybody out there wanna love life? Anybody out there wanna have a, a good life and see good, I have my hand up. That's, that's the life I want, man. I want a good life, I want a happy life, I wanna see good days. So whoever wants that kind of life, this is what he says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, right? If they revile you, remember what Peter just said? They revile you, they abuse you, bless them. That's what he's saying right here in Psalm 34. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord, here's our motivation, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is also against those who do evil. Peter's saying, listen, you want a good life, you wanna enjoy your life, turn from evil and do good. Why, Peter? Peter goes, because God's eyes are always on the righteous and his ears are always open to their prayers. In other words, believer, even if nobody sees you, even if nobody sees you loving your guts out and caring for your brothers and sisters and even if nobody sees you enduring suffering and mistreatment while you bless your very tormentors, God sees. That's what Peter's saying. If nobody sees all that, God sees it. Nobody sees it, God sees it, God hears you, and Peter goes, and don't forget, I love this part, he goes, don't forget, God is also a just God. He's a good God, but he's also a just God. And his face is against those who do evil. And so Peter says that to say, you don't have to worry about revenge, and you don't have to worry about making sure they get theirs, right? God, God is going, child, I, I've got this. I see the people who mistreat you and malign you and stab you in the back and hurt you and wound you and gossip about you in the community. I see all that and I've got this. I'm a God of justice. I'll take care of them. And so you walk in freedom, child. You rest and you trust and you walk with me and you follow me. And so here's, here's the last kind of big idea, the last application, number three. Believer, learn to rest in God's goodness and justice. 
That's freedom, that's real freedom. I'm not chained to making sure that, that people get theirs for, for abusing me or mistreating me. That's real freedom. I just get to rest in God's sovereignty and his goodness and his justice. So those are kind of the three main ideas of this text. Love each other inside the family of God deeply. Bless your enemies and rest in God's goodness and justice. And that, my friend, is the blessed life. Let me just say, the only way the only way you can live a lifestyle this radical, what Jesus calls the blessed life, is when you realize that Jesus is more satisfying than anything else in this world. Because here's the deal, as long as you're chasing other blessings and you're trying to find blessing and satisfaction and happiness and joy in the wrong things or places or people, you, listen to me, you will never find satisfaction. It's only as we realize that Jesus is more satisfying than anything else in this world, that he is the highest reward, the highest treasure, the highest blessing in this life that we can begin to flesh out this radical lifestyle that he's calling us to. Let me just say, if you're tuned in, you're watching this, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to let you know that um, God sees you, God hears you, he loves you, he desires an intimate life-transforming relationship with you. And so if you've never experienced that, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you memorized big portions of the Bible, but you've never actually experienced life transformation, a relationship with the God of this universe where you speak to him and, and he hears you and he answers you and he gives you this power to live out this really radical lifestyle. If you've never experienced that, so let me just encourage you, reach out to us, send us an email, you can drop a note maybe on whatever platform you're watching. We have service hosts on all those. We would love to connect with you this week and just talk to you about what it means to place your faith and your trust in Jesus and begin this awesome journey of following him all your life. Let's pray and then we're gonna sing. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us into a better way, a blessed life of loving one another and even of blessing those who persecute us or revile us, God, thank you that you are the God who sees, that you are the God who hears, you are the God who rewards his children. And thank you, God, that we can also rest in the fact that you are a God of justice. And we don't have to worry about revenge and we don't have to live with the burden of somebody wronging us because you are a God who sees and hears all and you are a God who will one day come back as the just judge. And so, Father, help us to walk in the blessings and the freedoms that you purchased for us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And it's all in his powerful name that we ask and we pray these things. Amen. Mm -hmm.